Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm going to level with you, Stephen. I've never seen Congo. Uh, I've actually never witnessed it. I've, I've been living a, a lie this whole time. Oh, or rather, just a silent lie. I've just never, like, I've never, like, said anything about it because I'm like, I don't know <laughs> you're what like, this movie's like. You're like, Stephen loves Congo so much, I'm not going to say anything. I just, I, I, I don't, I have nothing to add to this Congo-sation. Uh, it's like that thing where it's like I talk about Congo and you just like everyone else you're like he's just talking about Congo again like everyone just just ignore him just ignore <laughs> just him just ignore him he's just gonna sit in the corner and, and talk about Congo Amy for- good gorilla Amy see you don't even know what that is is Congo like Jurassic Park what you gotta you gotta sorry is it like Jurassic Park and is it like King Kong which is it more like oh it's just it, it's more like Jurassic Park okay it's like Jurassic Park meets mmm I mean, it's like Jurassic Park, but... (laughs) Dreaming on a flight See Congo ride Bathed in diamond light See Congo ride See Congo ride 
Right, right, see Congo. Right, 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 see Congo. Right, 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 see Congo. Right, see Congo. Right, podcast good gorilla. Welcome back to See Congo Right. I'm your host, Stephen Ray Morris, and today we're finally going to chat the 1995 Frank Marshall-directed classic, Congo. Based off the 1980 book of the same name, Congo came hot on the heels of the success of 1993's Jurassic Park. Attempting to bask in the residual glow of that film's perfect blend of heart and horror, producer of Jurassic Park, Frank Marshall took the reins directing with Kathleen Kennedy producing. Congo follows the adventures of Dr. Karen Ross, attempting to find rare diamonds in the Congo that would revolutionize the telecommunications world overnight before any other companies do. She joins up with Dr. Peter Elliott and Amy, a girl with the ability to speak using a Nintendo Power Glove, on their journey to return to Amy's home and learn more about the apes that live there. Along the way, they meet many wacky characters culminating in a showdown where, as the tagline promoted, humans are on the endangered species list. A few fun facts. The rights of the movie were sold originally in 1979 before Crichton had even written the book. His original pitch was King Solomon's Mines, High Technology, Signing Gorillas. Producer Kathleen Kennedy remarked that she at one point tried to convince George Lucas and Steven Spielberg to fold the plot of Congo into a future Indiana Jones sequel. Stan Winston, responsible for all the animatronic gorillas in the film, was approached to do Congo during the production of Jurassic Park, for which Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall produced. Actress Laura Linney had had a hard time finding the book before meeting to talk about the role, but the night she found out she got the part, she attended a play featuring people in gorilla suits. The film was released on June 9th, 1995 by Paramount Pictures. It starred Laura Linney, Dylan Walsh, Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, Grant Heslov, and Joe Don Baker. Plus, Bruce Campbell, Joe Pantoliano, Delroy Lindo, Edwale Ekonoya Agbaji, John Hawks, Taylor Nichols, a.k.a. Mark Diggler in Jurassic Park 3, do, 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 do. and Jimmy Buffett rounded out the star-studded cast. Also, Frank Welker provided voices for many of the gorillas, and Shayna Fox provided the voice of Amy, while Lauren No and Misty Roses played the physical aspect of Amy, aided by Stan Winston's animatronics. And now, clearly from the following close read and conversation with photographer, writer, friend, and past guest Megan Baker, the Michael Crichton-adapted film now occupies a special place in my heart, where its eccentricities have largely outshined its flaws. Amy, good gorilla indeed. start at the beginning though where did you genuinely what what like when did you first i tried to preface this because we're doing an april fool's episode but it's like but i was like but what do i actually want to do if i'm going to do a quote-unquote april fool's day episode i was like well i just want to talk about congo because i like congo and i i i'm so excited to talk about this because i love that you love congo and i remember when i first found out that you have I remember I saw the trading cards before and that you just have genuine interest in this movie. I feel like the same way in that I defend 1998 Godzilla in a way that no one else does, but it's that thing of like, I recognize that it's bad, but like I have such a connection to it as a child and I still love it and watch it genuinely today is the way I feel like you experience Congo and it makes me very happy. Oh, I love Do you, I was going to say, does, does Godzilla 1998 have a, is on Blu-ray? I don't know. I only have a DVD copy. Yeah. 
but I would be very open to owning a Blu-ray a of Blu-ray. it. Because right, I mean, maybe they add more special features because right now the special features on the DVD is an audio commentary from these special effects <laughs> uh, artists. That's like Jurassic Park 3. The, the commentary is only from the special effects guys. Must be a late 90s, early 2000s thing. Yeah. The um, world was like, wait, how do computers work? <laughs> yeah, we're like, wait, who? Why would I talk for an hour? How do they do that? Um, Tell us. Oh, you also just reminded me with Godzilla and... Oh, you know what would come on the Blu-ray? The entire season of the cartoon. The 1998 cartoon. Or I've the, never seen the cartoon. Oh, really? Oh, it was I, fun. I don't know how I never encountered it, but I just was like, no, just this movie. Yeah. That's it. You know, I, I forgot. Did I end up showing you my Matthew Broderick action figure from 1998 Godzilla? I don't know. Yeah, I it's in a box somewhere, but I actually have... A Matthew Broderick action figure from 1998 Godzilla. I hope it comes with like pregnancy tests. That'd be a great accessory. You're like, look. Or worms. Oh, no. Only those two. Um, But so wait, when did you see, when did you actually see Congo? So my experience with Congo is I actually read the book first. But the reason I read the book was it was when the re-release of Jurassic Park which was 2012 or 13? 13. 13. Um, and for that, I reread the book Jurassic Park. Oh, and cool. then I just kind of was in this mood of like, I'd love to read another Crichton. I've never read another Crichton novel. For some reason, I didn't want to read Lost World. Uh, <laughs> and I went down to the last bookstore downtown and they had Congo. So I was like, why not? I'll read it and then I'll watch the movie. So that's what I did in 2013 read the book, watched the movie, uh, had a lot of questions and just walked away saying, well, they, they failed on that one. Uh, the movie, not the book. I yeah, think the yeah. book is fine. Yeah. Yeah. The book is, it's not one of my favorite Michael Crane books. I have so little context for his work that, and uh, yeah, yeah. that I just find it kind of like an airplane novel where it's just like, this is entertaining. Like I, I have no strong feelings towards it. It's only interesting to look at in terms of like what they do with the movie and like what they take from it and specifically what the movie adds. Yeah. I don't even remember. Did the book even have, I like how I'm, at, I'm asking this and I'm the Congo. I mean, I'm not the book. Expert. The Congo expert. Uh, I mean, I've only read the book a couple of times, but I forget. Does Amy even talk in it? The gorilla even talk or is it just sign language? I think she still has the glove thing that talks. Oh, okay, okay. I'm pretty sure. All I know is the Tim Curry character is not in it. That's right. That's, that's, that's the, the biggest big difference. thing. Yeah, yeah. And is gives more questions. Yeah. That leads to so many more questions. Yeah. Well, it's almost like they needed a mouthpiece for the stuff that Crichton was just explaining, like the history. And it's almost like they're like, let's give it to this kooky, like side character. So it's like. But why is he Ukrainian? Who made that choice? I'm glad you said because I looked at that name and I said I'm not going to try to say that. Ukrainian uh, from Soviet Russia. Well, it was like, ha like it's almost like there's this element of, of of this weird dark mirror kind of thing held up to Congo to Jurassic Park, where it's like, it's like instead of like a wise crack and sexy scientist, let's make it a strange. Ukrainian like it's like they they the side character from the two main attractive people has to be like you know unique or strange or something and they just they just like they just had like a uh, like a, a wheel and they just like spun the wheel and it was like wacky you like Russian stereotype or whatever you know I feel like you're implying that Jeff Goldblum 
isn't one of the sexy couples. That's well, the but I think that's the weird part about Jurassic Park that was like more alchemy than like planned almost was that, you know, you know, in a weird way, like Jeff Goldblum is definitely like ha- oozes more sex appeal than Laura Dern or Sam Neill. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because like Laura Dern and Sam Neill are like very mom and dad, you know, yeah. whereas like Jeff Goldblum is just like swinging in there shirtless and like, you know, wet, like, you know, like. Yeah, and I'd say no one in Congo exudes any sexuality. No. <laughs> there is. That Dylan everyone Walsh in there is, is a, like the ah. whitest white bread. Well, I mean, if you if, well because the the whole <laughs> I the joke of the movie but also kind of genuine, the real love stories between Dylan Walsh and a monkey. Yeah. And a and an animatronic/stunt/person gorilla. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to say like, you know, again, we're going to do a close reading of a couple of scenes. But I think just to get like kind of our general thoughts out of the way, it, I do appreciate that the movie, you know, it's like a weirdly structured movie in terms of its characters. Like we even talked about this a little bit, but like the movie is very strange because it's like it kind of want like it, like clearly the structure is that the like the Peter Elliott character is supposed to be the main character, but he's not really. And the movie kind of constantly reinforces that he's not the main character. So I love that like Laura Linney and Ernie Hudson are really the heroes of the film, but like it still has to have the like white dude at the center of it. The movie's just really strange because it doesn't feel like it has a main character. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned before we started recording that the movie's really top heavy. Yeah. And that's, I think the only reason we think that Dylan Walsh's character is the main character because in the beginning we do spend a lot of time with him, but the movie is reconciling with multiple plots that I think all get shortchanged, which is the same reason why there's no main character because you have Dylan Walsh and Amy going back to the jungle, which I think is, a half-baked plot because like what who would let them just take a gorilla from captivity and be like yeah you can just drop a a monkey we've spent millions of dollars just drop it in the congo and we're fine well i mean the movie itself questions that and then it sort of steamrolls through it because they're like oh well this guy has money so we'll make it happen it's so fine with it because then but then you also have tim curry who's looking for the lost city of zinge yeah you have laura linney who's like she's looking for her ex-fiance played by Bruce Campbell, but then also she's going there because her job is telling her to go there. But they have sinister uh, mod- yeah, motives, but she- the movie seems to play off that she does isn't aware of that, but we all know that, so I always felt that was really weird. Oh, but interesting, there's, yeah. There's so many, so many motivations that aren't very cohesive. And I think the movie just feels very broken up into these weird parts that are very clear in the beginning. But then once you're in the Congo, it just kind of like all muddles together and they're just going on an expedition to go on an expedition by the end. Well, yeah, it's, it's set piece to set piece with Mon. There's so many montages in this movie. I would. I just wrote down shoe leather. Yeah, it's just a lot of people walking on yeah. both sets and real life jungle. Yeah, and when you say set pieces, like that to me seems generous. It is well, generous to call those set pieces. I really like like, I really like the airport sequence. Like, I love that there's this conversation and all this chaos is happening around them. I think all that's really fun. And Joey pants, baby. Yeah, exactly. All right, be the asshole. Whoa. whoa. (laughs) Like there's, so there were, 
That is, but I would say, yes, that is like the best, to me, the best set piece of the movie is that airport scene because it is so much going on, but that's not even in the jungle. That's not an airport. Well, no. And that's the thing. Like when I was rethinking about this movie, because I will say I've been like a huge Congo hype man for the last few years. And I would say to me, it's actually my second favorite Crichton adaptation. Maybe even more. I think it's more fun than the lost world. Um, Obviously, I can flip flop on that because mm-hmm. I obviously love The Lost World. But um, I've also been so strong at like hyping Congo and just saying like it's the actual main characters are a woman and a black man. And like, you know, just like singing all these praises and like all the things that are like really weird and quirky about it. But then it's like this time when I watched it, I was like, no, let's just watch it as a regular movie. And then you start to see it kind of like fall apart. Yeah. You know, where it's. It's weird that the movie, like the movie doesn't really start until they get to the Congo, but then the movie's over. Like, but, but because there's nothing to do once they get to the jungle other than the final payoff of, but like in a different movie, they would get to the lost city of Zinj like by the middle of the second act. Like, why isn't most of the movie set in the jungle? Why is the whole movie getting them getting to the jungle and then them in the jungle for like the last 20 minutes? I definitely agree. Yeah, it seems like the middle part of the movie is so short, which is them landing in the Congo and them like getting to the Zinge. The movie is so short. It feels like it goes yeah. by very quickly. Yeah. Because I don't think there's anything for them to do. There's not enough story there for them to cultivate characters and... Yeah. I, I don't think they figured out how to do set pieces because I don't know how the budget was spent, but it feels like most of that budget was spent on the apes. Yeah, on yeah, yeah, for on sure. On making them look quote unquote good, which at the same point they don't look good. No. I'm sorry, Stan Winston. Uh but it's just like where I don't think they knew where to put the money in this movie. No, it's I think it's because I mean the caliber of actors. Like it had such a great cast. Like I don't fun th- fun cast. I yeah, but I don't think I don't think they paid they though no one in that movie is super famous. I guess I guess at the time they weren't. Like yeah, maybe no Laura way. Linney, but like Joe Don Baker is f- fourth on on the Blu-ray DVD cover. <laughs> a man who's in like two scenes. Yeah. And they're that's like a good point. he's good enough to be on <laughs> on the cover of this movie. Well, yeah, Dylan Walsh wasn't necessarily like leading it up you know i only know him from nip tuck so yeah i i memorized his name for this podcast so i wouldn't call him nip tuck oh right a hundred percent the fact that i just said his name right the first time this is the first time i've done that (laughs) i've just been copying (laughs) because i'm obsessed with i'm obsessed with laura linney and ernie hudson in this movie and so everything else to me kind of falls away and is secondary but i think you're i think you're right about the weirdness of like where the energy is spent in this movie too because like i mean a big set piece is a, is hippos attacking the rafts but then nobody die you know it's stuff like that where you're like yeah you're also sort of like what even really oh i was gonna say because i think the difference between if we're just gonna keep comparing it to jurassic park you have to is jurassic park also kind of has a tapestry of like a main cast but I think they were smart in that they didn't really give uh, Lord, they didn't give Dr. Sattler and uh, Ian Malcolm and Hammond necessarily full, complete journeys. Like, like Sam Neill is quote unquote the main character. I mean, because he has something that identifiably changes from the beginning to the end. Whereas this, it's as if they would give like Congo is like them trying to do that, but for three or four people, or at least for, 
uh, Dylan well, Walsh, Laura Linney, um, and I, Amy. Amy, I guess. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And Amy. Like, and then sort of secondary is Tim Curry and Ernie Hudson. But yeah, it's like they like they should have just had like maybe like Laura Linney be part of the team or have Dylan Walsh be part of the team. Like, well, the big difference with Jurassic Park is there's a common goal. Yes, Everyone right. is there for the common you're goal right. of we're going to either endorse or not endorse this park. Yes. And then they might branch off or they, everyone has their different stories, but everyone's there for the same thing. Everyone is in Congo for different reasons. And they all just kind of seem to end up at the same place. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The fact that everyone's tagging along to this journey in different ways, just kind of like doesn't vibe together. Well, well, yeah. And as we'll see in the first scene that we're going to watch the sort of circumstances that get them all together, I think is fun in the moment, but it doesn't, again, it's that thing of like, it just sort of, there's a mo it tries to create a momentum that's just sort of like, just let's have this happen and then we can just move on to the next thing that has to happen. There's sparks, but yeah, it just never goes anywhere. Yeah. But I think for me, like when I, when I was and see, that's the thing. I don't even remember the first time I really watched this movie. Like, I don't understand why I've become such a champion for this movie over the years, but it's just become like, I mean, I read Congo and I liked it a lot. I didn't like it as, in a weird way. I don't like, I didn't like it as much after enjoying the movie so much. Cause I think I just really like those, you know, I like Laura Linney and Ernie Hudson, you know, and Tim Curry is just color, you know, colorful character, but the book itself, I don't remember that much of like, it's, it's a journey movie and it feel like Michael, you know, Michael Crichton's so thorough. That's the one thing I remember. I remember being very thorough. And also I think, and I, I don't know why I, I, I have to think budgetary reasons, but like the book I remember spends a lot more time in Zinge. I think they spend more than one night, you know, on the outskirts with the perimeter being attacked by the apes. They spend more time building up to the actual climax, which is the, the, uh, the volcano exploding and, and them like outrunning a volcano. Yeah. But the movie, they spend one night in Zinge, like, it goes so quickly. Yeah. Well, and the volcano explodes. It's like, the volcano thing is like an afterthought. The movie's already over, and then they have to do all the, like, perfunctory dodging the volcano stuff. But it's like, it was never going to be, there's no drama to it, because it's like, the drama was uh, Amy saving, you know, Amy, and then followed up by Karen Ross, you know, blasting away all the apes, like... So then they've already, that's like, that's the climax. And then they have to like do this gauntlet where like the ground's falling apart. But like, you already know that they're going to survive. We've been talking this whole time and I had already forgotten that Amy's goal is to reassimilate into gorilla culture, which is kind of the second plot of the movie, but easily forgotten. Should we watch a scene? Let's watch a scene. We're in possibly the Burbank airport. The pilot looks over, someone looking for me? And then Tim Curry shows up, hello. Uh, the transport. Oh yes, um, is there a problem? Not unless there's a problem. <laughs> uh, and then we go out to the 
airport and uh, I was going to say Dylan Walsh, Pete, Dr. Peter Elliott, he's hanging out with Amy and he's like, Yo, are you excited, sweetheart? That's a camera. Be careful. It's expensive. And then uh, Laura Linney, Dr. Karen Ross, she's like, I think she's got a real eye just being like smooth as fuck. Like she's like James Bond. Like I'm going to just nab on this adventure. Um, Karen Ross, Professor Karen Ross. I mean, come on. She's James Bond. Uh, Professor Peter Elliott. Doctor, have you got my faxes, FedExes and phone calls? Oh, you're the one. And then... Oh, we put together a hasty expedition to the Congo with a talking gorilla. Tickle Amy, tickle Amy. That's right, Jungle. Just a minute, Amy. I'm sorry. I'm afraid that's impossible. And, you know, Karen Ross is like, no, I need to join up with you. She's like, I've got all the visas. I've got all the stuff. And then all of a sudden stuff's being unloaded on the plane. And it's like, I mean, clearly Peter is out of his element. And he's like, I can pay part of the cost, Karen Ross says. And and. You know, Peter's like, why are you taking off the plane? He's like, I don't need any money. And, he, and she's like, it, uh, like you can easily find room for me. Um, and Peter is like, it's not a matter of that. It's Amy. Ugly woman. The gorilla, she gets jealous very easily. And then Peter is like, and then people are still loading the plane. And they can't tell him why. And, you know, basically, Karen's like, name your price. And he's like, I don't have a price. I'm, a, I'm not a pound of sugar. I'm a primatologist. And then Herkeme Hamoka steps in. He's like, don't be hasty, Dr. Elliot. Herkeme Hamoka, formerly of Romania. Dr. Karen Ross. Uh, you know, and then this is where it's like, unfortunately, there's been a slight interruption of my credit flow and unable to pay for the fuel. God, this is so, oh, this accent. Um... <laughs> Uh, Peter Elliott's again like how much is the fuel it's like $56,000 dollars um, and then Peter Elliott looks at uh, Laura Linney Dr. Karen Ross and he's like what are you smiling about she's like you need me Dr. Elliott uh, and yeah that's it I mean you know boom boom I mean you just expect to be like dun 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 well they're on the plane and um and again, it's the whole Amy's upset and it's like, Peter, it's like, you're the reason she's upset. And and she's like, me, what did I do? Ugly woman. Yes, very ugly. Uh, and they get their seatbelts on. See, we're all buckling our seatbelts. That's a good girl. Here's an egg. Um, and Karen Ross is like, is that animal dangerous? And she, and Peter, it's like, hu- humans are dangerous. Gorillas are very gentle. Um and, you know, Herkimer Homoko's like, so you think the gorillas might be dangerous? Um, and Peter Elliot's like, ugh, like, don't perpetuate that myth. What myth? The the King Kong ki- myth, the, the myth of the killer ape. Are you certain there are gorillas that kill? Please, doctor, you can't be serious. What's your expert? What's your area of expertise? Folk singing? Karen Ross, like, grits her teeth. She's like, communications technology. Very Jodie Foster-like. So you're a geek with a cell phone. I'm a scientist, but you and your you're and your protege here, as far as I can see, belong in the circus. Listen, just because you came up with a wad of cash at a crucial moment, uh, Amy, wear ground, wear ground. Uh, Amy, want green drop drink? You'd swear they were married. The notion of the killer may be maybe politically incorrect, but that's not to say that it's untrue. I don't know what I'm doing with that accent. And Peter Elliott's like, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Cliches 
usually contains some element of truth. And the camera's like, are you serving that ape a martini? She's the loud one. It'll calm her down. Again, what, where, when is Peter Elliott feeding Amy martinis? Anyway, um, many a bizarre story containing bizarre truth. Uh, and so later, you know, Karen Ross is like, bleep, 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 tick, 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 on the computer. Um, and Peter Elliott's like, Dr. Ross, I'm sorry I called you earlier, but I, if I didn't, I know it was for Amy's benefit, she said. Can I ask you something? Dr. Karen Ross says, asks, I mean, says and asks. Sure. Why teach an ape to talk? Why teach it all? Why teach anything to anyone? It doesn't make you rich. doesn't get you girls. Why did Prometheus steal fire only to turn around and give it away? There's an inherent generosity in the human spirit. One of its faces is the face of a teacher. Dr. Karen Ross is like rolling her eyes. I repeat, why teach an ape to talk? No practical reason. Then why did you do it? A lonely impulse of delight. William Butler Yeats? Very good. Did it work? She asks. What do you mean? You're not lonely anymore? And Peter Elliott asks, Why are you going to Africa? To find something I lost. And see. See, this movie's got soul! This is what's upsetting, because I think that is like a really fun scene where we get to meet all the characters. It's everyone coming together except for Ernie Hudson, but it's like the start to the trip. It's it's getting into it. There's little little laughs, little fun times, but also a little little tension between characters. But what is frustrating is that it does not follow through on any of this. Yeah. It is setting up that like. Because uh, you have Laura Linney asking, you know, why did you teach an ape to talk? So she obviously doesn't like Amy. So you're like, by the end of the movie, I bet they're going to become fast friends. Like, it's setting up that. It's also setting up maybe there's something between Dylan Walsh and Laura Linney. I don't know. None of these things are followed through. You're right. You're absolutely right. Or you're, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. And then Tim John Curry is also Jackson. just there. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you, that's a, that's an incredible point to bring because yeah, you like, you get like, there is no scenes later where Amy and, and Karen Ross have to like, she doesn't save, she doesn't save Karen Ross ever. She only is saving, uh, Peter. Like there's no, they don't have any conflict after this really, other than when like she knocks, like they knock over her like satellite dish later. More but. reason for her to dislike her. Yeah. It's not going the other direction of like resolving the conflict. It's just making it worse. Well, and there's no, there's no, and then the idea that there's kind of this, again, I love this scene because there's this like really like sort of loneliness hanging over this, especially this little end part. Um and it's like none of that's kind of yeah there's you know there's no kind of yeah which is i mean it further continues my idea which everyone points jokes through the whole movie whether it's tim curry or like some of the people on the expedition later that they're like hey dylan walsh and that ape are married and you're like i think so yeah like the whole time like no one else is evolving because he's just with this ape the whole time like he's not gonna get to know laura linney because he's only caring about Amy. Yeah. No, he, the, it's really only, excuse me, it's really only kind of, 
it's just treated as that surface level gag and it doesn't ever really evolve other than at the very end where he just has to learn to let her go. But it's like, we don't know what he gets out of it really. No. And I, I am surprised when they say this is a hasty expedition. Why? Why is he in a rush to get her back to the jungle? Like, well, you understand that it's a, it's hasty for her. But he says that. Yeah. He says, pardon our hasty ex- uh, yeah. uh, exposition or whatever. So yeah, yeah. my thought is, why are they in a rush? Yeah. I don't understand. I understand her. Yeah. I don't understand him. Yeah. Well, and especially if like uh, Tim Curry's character, he's not in a rush either because he's done this mission a million times. Yeah. So there's all these made up stakes in this movie. I feel like that there's the writers are like, well, we know people have to be in a hurry because that's how action works. Yeah. But there's no reason for most of these people to be in a hurry. Yeah. No, it's just sort of in service to. I would never hastily put in, put together an expedition into a war ridden Zaire. Yeah. No. Well, it's. And again, if the border is going to be, I forget what it was in the book, but again, it's like they have to like the only reason it's hasty is because supposedly the original crew with Bruce Campbell and John Hawks found where Zinge is, but did, but they all died. So then the secret's safe until, but they know about it. I guess it's just Joe Don Baker. It's like burning a hole in his pocket and he's like, ah, we got to find, oh, I'll be human later. This is like my favorite line in the movie because like at least it's a villain being like, I can be an asshole. It's like such a funny way to to express it. But then what's so frustrating is, as you say, Joe Don, uh, Joe Don Baker is the villain, but he's really only in two scenes of the movie. He doesn't feel like a presence in this no, at no. all. No, no. You completely forget he's in it until she calls him later. Well, I, yeah, I almost think in another movie he would have... You have the the remnants of like where you see the other plane that they sent and, you know, that plane explodes in the sky because they didn't make they decided to go the easy way. And that's how they were taken out over the border. But you you would almost be to like if you want to make him more of a villain, you show the scene of him talking to the new team. And it's like, no, you just got to go in there and you got to do like, I don't care what the stakes are. I lost my my son. I lost my like almost daughter in law. Like, but it doesn't matter because we got to get these diamonds and like. Or, you know, something more to, like, continue that that villainy or whatever. But, yeah. He's also definitely not broken up that his son dies. And when you find out that that's his son, I was like, no way. Bruce Campbell is not Jed on Baker's son. Not even looks, but just, like, he's so indifferent to what has just happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which is why I kind of like that line, I'll be human later, because it's like, they just have to acknowledge how quick, you know, it is and all that stuff. But... I mean, the real villain in this movie is capitalism. Yes. It goes capitalism and then killer apes and then also Joe Don Baker. Yeah, I think that's the right order. Um, what did you think of Jimmy Buffett's cameo? <laughs> uh, I prefer his his work in Jurassic World. He's given more to do. As I said, I thought I knew what Jimmy Buffett looked like. And then you had to point out that's Jimmy Buffett. Like, and I would Jimmy have Buffett? had no idea. Is that Jimmy Buffett? Is that Jimmy Buffett? I mean, he, he needs to be holding a margarita for me to understand who he is. He's growing as an actor. You know, yes. this was his first Frank Marshall picture and he's been in a few others. And then by the time he got to Jurassic World, it's like, OK, we'll give you something to do. We'll promote your restaurant. It's great. Like you earn it. Yeah. You, <laughs> there are no small parts. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Buffett 
he made Margaritaville canon in the Jurassic Park universe. I I love that so much. That was quite an accomplishment. Um, and yet he didn't open a Margaritaville in Zaire. Surprising. King Shasa could use the business. Yeah. Uh, yeah, instead of, uh, what was it, sesame cake? Yep. Stop eating my sesame cake. <laughs> Stop drinking my margarita. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is my Congolese accent, and I apologize to everyone. I love it. Um, should we watch the next scene? Yes, please. Um, I already forgot what the next scene I picked was. Another airplane scene. Kaiga, Monroe. Are we in Zanir? Tanzania. Stay close to me, Amy. Come on, come on. Uh, everyone's at an airport again as I said I uh, just want to reinforce that and they're getting ready to take off but this is when uh, Monroe Kelly uh, you know he goes how come I homoko right yes hello you're not looking for Solomon City again are you what are you talking about oh wait that was <laughs> that's a different character saying that but uh, I think that's Karen Ross and, you know, this is in, in uh, Monroe Kelly's like, Mr. Mocha was part of a disastrous expedition. Uh, I don't know. I'm not even sure who's speaking anymore at this point. Anyway, the idea is that they were looking for the lost city called Zinj. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist. It does exist. Fine. Three members of the safari died from exposure. A fourth was shot by we don't know who. It was an appalling suicide. We wouldn't quibble, and Mr. Homolka had to be carried up by the jungle by, as I remember it, me. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And then I think it's uh, Dylan Walsh is like, uh, Peter Elliott is, I knew he wasn't a Romanian philanthropist. Oh, he's Romanian and he has done good, but mostly for Mr. Homoka. Shut up. Forgive me. All the traveling has left me shaken. Think nothing of, think nothing of it. <laughs> you get it. Um, what's all this stuff? Courtesy of Eddie Ventro. 
Eddie Ventro. Woo, woo, woo. Customs guy hit me with a peanut oil for stamping visas. Never going back to that country, man. Those people have permanently wigged out. Um, and they get some firepower, some technology. And, you know, they're flying. And then Peter Elliot is, you know, when they're in the air, he's like, there's one thing I don't understand, Monroe. What's that, Dr. Elliot? If the borders today are shut, how do we get across? Luck. And then everyone starts singing and loading stuff into boxes. And all of a sudden there's rockets firing. And now they've crossed in the border of Zaire and they're violating the airspace. And then Monroe feeds, um, Edwale, uh, uh, Kayega feeds, um, uh, Amy some gorilla Prozac. And basically this is the badass scene where, well, everyone's putting on parachutes. Oh yeah. This is like, why are we putting on parachutes? And Karen was like, figure it out. Um, and he's like, she might get hurt. We can't risk it. And then Monroe's like, you had to fly a plane. And then that's when they shoot to the, the pilot and the copilot had already gone. And then uh, everyone's starting to just load stuff up. And then uh, everyone's jumping out of the plane. And Herkimo Homoka is like, uh, push me, please. And then Kaiga like, pushes me. He's like, harder, please. Um, and then everyone jumps out of the plane. And... Unlike Karen Ross, Dr. Karen Ross, who is James Bond, Peter Elliott is not James Bond. And so after all this jumping out of the planes and explosions, um, he's like, I can't do it. Um, and Monroe's like, if you don't want to go, just go wherever. But you should know that this is a dangerous place and people die here very easily. Now, excuse me. And Monroe walks off. This is the big moment, but it's there's a there's one more later, but this is the first time I feel like uh, Jerry's music really kicks in, and to me, it has this sound of Indiana Jones meets Tarzan in a way, kind of yeah. like that '40s adventure movies. But there's nothing in this movie that I feel earns it because you hear that music, and when you would hear it in Indiana Jones, it would be something like Indies fighting. Nazis yeah. or like he's doing an action that is that is a winning action in this movie it is usually something that is accidental or people running away like sure it has the backdrop of being in the Congo specifically in the Congolese jungle it's a it's against a beautiful backdrop but they're not doing something heroic they're falling out of a plane. I'm yeah. just, the music doesn't earn that. Well, it's funny because when you were just saying that right now, I wonder if the, because we talked earlier about what the budget was the budget. I mean, other than when they're filming in Burbank, but like, is the budget going to these countries? Do you think? Cause they did film in, I don't know which country in Africa, but I know that they, I did think they go- filmed in Tanzania. Oh, that's, okay. That, that makes sense since they mentioned that they're in Tanzania. I would buy that. That's where they were. Okay. Uh, but this is something that's, I mean, a little bit of a sidebar. This movie is $50 million. Reported budget, $50 million. Jurassic Park budget is $63 million. Not <laughs> even that much There's no different. CGI in this movie. There's nothing. Well, I mean, I think the lasers. satellite and the lasers, yeah. <laughs> but that's so close in budget. And this looks so much cheaper and achieves so little. Well, I mean, you think... And again, just getting to the, the the theme of this movie 
almost coasting off the not nostalgia of Jurassic Park because it's at this point Jurassic Park was only two years old, but coasting off of the success, the success and the 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 fuzzy heart of like of because really that's anytime they translate Michael Crichton books or at least when they were trying to replicate the success of Jurassic Park, it's like take Crichton, but at, but try and add the Spielberg heart to the equation And Congo tries to add the heart, but there's no, but I feel like they like, they they stuck it on back, like a pin the tail on the donkey, but they like did it the other way around. There's no relationships here to pin that on. Yes. And if anything, it's between a man and a talking ape. Yeah. And my big issue <laughs> with Amy is that the voice they use for her robotic voice is that of a, it sounds like an eight-year-old. Yeah. And it's kind of demeaning to me. I'm just like, why Why does she have to be a child? Because she, she drinks and smokes, which is very adult. Yeah. And it then, it, it's which is complicated by the fact that you have an eight-year-old child sounding monkey drinking martini and smoking a cigar so i have like just a lot of weird feelings of like i don't know if they know if she's a child or an adult but it makes it even a more weird gray area you know it's funny to be honest i've never thought about this before like that sort of infantilization but like why do you need to what yeah what, what is that adding to that narrative and to that character I think it's just making it very complicated and putting it in a really weird place. Look, if you're going to have somebody fall in love with a gorilla, you might as well just let it be as weird as... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why are we trying to normalize this? Yeah, yeah. Why are we trying to find more solid ground for this relationship? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Game of Thrones, you got nothing on this. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's that's so interesting. I hadn't thought about the the use of her voice and why they decided to use a child's voice. There's no reason to. Because is it stated that how old she is as a as an ape? I think they make mention of like how long it's been since she was in the jungle when they found her. I think like four years or something like that. Or yeah, I don't know enough about. I feel like you've spent more time at the San Diego Zoo to know what is the age brackets of oh well gorilla. But she's old enough to to get funky and get down because she leaves the end of the movie is her leaving with the male gorilla to be like her. Mate. Part of the yeah to be her mate, so clearly she's old enough to like. I mean, and that's why we missed out on Congo too, where like Peter Elliot goes back to the jungle, and it's like there's like it's like Amy as as a full grown adult, and she has like her children, and it's like I don't know what that movie would be. Congo two, back to the jungle, <laughs> like Congo two, born free. Yeah, ooh, I like that. Congo two, um, wait, what was the Alien versus Predator sequel? Requiem. Requiem. <laughs> Congo 2 Requiem. Requiem I like yeah. a lot. Um Congo 2 Jurassic Park. No. Um <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. That that's that scene overall though. Again, I think it's it's again, it's my problem the the problem with the movie is my problem with the movie in the sense that I'm finding these little moments to latch onto and sort of and the movie is being like Oh, here not this moment great? But then nothing around it lives up to it. I am so excited to just be watching this movie in little moments because I think it is great in these kind of bite-sized moments of, oh, look at these strange characters, but also you're in, you know, Central Africa, and that's also kind of interesting. And if you just look at it in maybe 10-minute increments, it's a it's a fun excursion. I what if we just watch all the montage scenes in a row? And nothing else. 
But that's part of what the movie is. It's coasting on the nature-ness of it, of of movies like Born Free, where it's like, oh, there is a story, but also part of it is this like Disney nature documentary where it's like, yeah. we went into the jungles and, you know, we're showing you things that you don't normally see. So it banks a lot on that and all the shoe leather of people walking places. You're supposed to be like, Oh wow, look giraffes. But like half of the time they're on a sound stage. So I'm not that impressed. Well, it's it's I feel like the like but you also to me that in the, in that level is that like the moments where you do see like all the wild animals is almost like it's stock footage like purchased, you know? It's like not it's not like they walk by a giraffe and have an interaction with the giraffe. It's like here is footage of a giraffe. Insert giraffe here. Yeah, with Jerry Goldsmith's like score, just like you know, transitioning. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. but but giraffes. These aren't planes this time; they're rafts. <laughs> Beautiful boats. Money's a wonderful thing, and the crew were all together getting ready to go on these rafts, and they gave her the banana with the dope inside. I know shitty Peter. Um, and then he starts singing, All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. I've been for a walk on a winter's day. And everybody starts singing along, I'll be safe and warm if I was in L.A. California, California, dreaming on such a winter's day. You get the idea. Stepped into a church. Anyway, they, they're they on a raft, and uh, this is when they decide to question Herkima Homolka. What is this zinge, Mr. Homolka? I don't know what you're talking about. My accent's getting further and further away by the minute. Um... It's been believed that King Solomon had a diamond mine in the Congo in a city called Zinj. Diamonds? I suppose there's no point in playing stupid. Stupid? Um, we shall arrive together. We shall be rich. Uh, that's fine with me, except there is no Zinj. Half the safaris that have gone looking never made it back. The other calf came, the other calf came back with nothing. But we have a trumping card. And that's when Herka Hamulka pulls up that magazine article about Amy the gorilla. And he's like, the gorilla. Um, As a young man, they found a book in Soviet Georgia. It contained a detailed drawing of the city of Zinj. The drawing contained a particular, a peculiar decoration, an open eye later. And he goes on and on and on. He's like, the gorilla drew this. This same eye, this gorilla has seen the city of Zinj, and she will take us there. And he really believes in it. And Monroe is like, have you been taking all medication? Have your laughing, and I will have mine. And then that's when Karen Ross's signal stops, because she's been tracking Bruce Campbell, her ex-fiance. Uh, and then they all get attacked by hippos in, uh, in the scene right after this. Uh, so there's that, and they see an airplane get attacked because, uh, like the Lost World Jurassic Park, uh, Joe Don Baker, not that Joe Don Baker's in the Lost World Jurassic Park, but a uh, similar thing of Hammond. Why would Hammond send two teams? Um, and so uh, the crew survives the hippo attack, and they're not uh, the other telecom communications team that gets shot down 
by the Zaire Air Force. So uh, there's that. They're very lucky. Very lucky indeed. I, I think I realize now that this whole movie is emblematic of this scene, this action scene with the hippos, and that it's like a ride that they're all they're on a river floating down, and something is like ah, and then the movie just moves on to the next thing. Well, it's interesting that you point out about it being a ride because that's something that really comes to mind while watching this movie. We didn't watch the scenes where uh, there's this communication, the satellite communication between. Comtech, Digitech, whatever it is. And when they call someone in the Congo, whether it be Bruce Campbell or once Laura Linney's out there, and every time they show that screen and them talking, to me, it looks like those videos you watch while you're in line for a ride at Universal where they're like, (laughs) hey, we need you to do this. Like, this is the situation and it's dire. Follow us and we're we're going there. And nah, like that's nah, what they and nah, the quality, nah. yeah, yeah. All that. It really feels like a ride. And then once you get to this scene with the hippos, they look they jump out of the water like they're the jaws part of the tram ride. Or I mean the hippo the hippos on the jungle cruise, right? True. They're not <laughs> as violent as the <laughs> the ones on the jungle cruise are yeah. a little bit more sedated. Yeah. But they look like they can only move so far. Like you, the way yeah. that the hippos jump up, it's like, oh, the range of motion of that machine is only this location. Yeah, they like, and then it has to move back. Then, yeah, exactly. But also the way that is staged. I know this movie's two years before Lost World, but it really makes me think of the raptor scene, where just like it's kind of in the the darkness. They oh, don't yeah. fully want to show what the creatures are, but they're kind of just like pulling things down yeah. randomly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Totally. I could see that. Yeah. This is the question I have, and on this rewatch, I still thought. It was going to be a crocodile. Do you think it's going to be a hippo every time? Or did you know it was going to be a hippo? I think because I read the book, I thought it was going to be a hippo. I feel like for me, a big part of Congo was obviously like Amy talking gorilla, Tim Curry, wacky. And then it was like the movie where it shows that hippos are really dangerous. Like that's my memory of Congo growing up. It's like my understanding of this movie. Cause again, I don't think I really watched it until after I was like a Crichton fan, like in, in high school, maybe. I mean, it is educational in that way because I genuinely thought it was going to be a crocodile. And then I was like, Oh, a hippo. Oh yeah. I guess the hippos are pretty violent. Yeah. (laughs) I only know this from the jungle cruise ride. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I never thought that that would be a villain in a movie or an obstacle. A hippo. Yeah. No. And that's a very fun. I mean, that's, this is, this scene is like one of the biggest scenes. I remember this or this section of the movie because of the California dreaming thing as well. Yes. You know, because within a year, this song was also used or a year, like less than a year earlier, that song was also used a lot in Chunking Express, the Wong Kar Wai movie. It's really. Don't I, tell anyone I've never seen Chunking it's Express. Oh, well, this is the April Fool's episode, so it doesn't count. <laughs> okay, but, um, great. But um, but yeah, so I just remember like we like there. I don't know why to me, two movies counts as a nineties obsession with Cal, but I feel like there's another movie that also in the nineties used. Oh, probably. And maybe it was a rights thing. I don't know where those rights were for the Eagles. Uh, Wait, who's saying California Dreamin'? Oh, wait, no, shit. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, the Hotel California. Hotel California. <laughs> um, wait, who's saying I can't remember California Dreamin' right now? Isn't that so? I guess we're not good classic rock fans. 
I never claimed to be, sir. No. Oh, yeah. You're the one with a music podcast. Yeah, but that wouldn't be. All the leaves are all the... was in LA. I mean, that's how I feel like I know this song is from this movie. California Dreamin'. Because this is this is the part of the podcast where I clean. I'm trying to see if I can can think of the who it might be. Oh, Mamas and the Papas. What am I talking? Oh, about? you're right. But I just again, it's that. <laughs> you're thing, right, Google. Uh, uh, I was gonna edit that. I said I was gonna look it up, but I guess I have to keep it in now. No, <laughs> you um, don't. You don't. No, um, keep it all in. Um, but again, it's that thing of I think when I really basically like champion this movie and really wanted to like it it was like oh but this movie's so weird and quirky like why are they all singing california dreaming in the middle of the movie like well what and maybe this is maybe one of the only things i respect about this movie is that's a callback to the other airplane scene when all the guys are loading in stuff and they're singing a swahili song and i really like that it has this mirroring scene where they're singing an american song because this is where I'm going to get sound really shitty and pretentious in that. Like I do listen to a lot of African music and I think it's really hard to explain to people like how to listen to those songs because I think people hear songs that are in another language and say like, I don't get it. Why would you listen to this? It doesn't make like, it doesn't make sense. And I like that there's this parallel of like, it's this kind of like, it's a chorus of everyone singing that song and doing different parts. Uh, and I think that's just the best way to explain how a lot of like music that's in like, you know, Wolof or Zulu okay. or Swahili like works. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. See, and that's something I wouldn't have known cause I don't know that much about different music genres in, yeah in i'm really upset that you haven't started an african music podcast Ugh, i need to get on it <laughs> i i mean i listen to shaka zulu all the time but like that's one album you know out of like all this different genres in music and just from one band There's would you call so lady much. smith black mambazo a band oh yeah i don't i don't like or a music collective music collective like they've been around for so long they have um but uh no, but they it's currently only have one remaining original member. Oh, really? Not oh. that anyone died, just of like who is still carrying the band. Yeah, who's still which just won another Grammy this past year. Oh, really? A hundred percent. That's amazing. Yeah, I want to include a link to that album in the notes because that sounds really fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I was going to say, if because you know who was California dreaming, it was Amy because she was dreaming in California. But they're like flipping it because she's dreaming of Africa. I'll oh, see. I didn't see that of even. The Congo. Uh, is that a stretch maybe? No, I think that's, I, I would like to think that Frank Marshall thought really hard when picking that song. And he was like, what can I, oh, what can I do? Oh, wouldn't that be clever? I'm glad they didn't pick Hotel California because that song's not great. Oof. Shots fired. Oof, no, that's awful. Hotel California is one of the worst songs of all time. <laughs> it's such a bummer too. Yeah. And it's like such a slow song this is the part where we just rag on hotel california for 20 minutes because but if you've ever lived in la and listened to the radio k earth 101 plays that song non-stop and it is upsetting oh it's almost like a protest like they just play it on 24 hours yeah they they think because i'm in california i need to hear the song i don't no i would love to hear all the leaves are brown and the yeah. sky is gray yeah. i want to be california dreaming i don't want to be stuck in a hotel on such a winter's day 
on such a winter's day. Um, and then we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it, but this the, the actual meat of this section of the movie is them revealing the connection between um, Tim Curry's character, Homolka, and why he saw Amy as an important piece of this whole puzzle of this journey of seeing the eye and it represents the eye of the city of Zinj and even saying what Zinj is and how it's a lost city and all this, like going into more detail. And it's like that interesting element of like, again, it seems interesting that they're waiting. It's like, I I wonder what the reason was to dole out this information along this journey. Is it because there really is nothing else to do during the journey? So they're like, well, let's just piecemeal this exposition you know, throughout the entire movie. I think that's why the movie feels to me long in some ways and short in many ways, because it's the whole movie is the first act. And then the end of the movie is like the rest of the movie in, in 20 minutes. Well, also it's kind of strange because, so it's revealed that he's on this expedition because Amy knows this city that she is from this city. So that she's going to lead them there. But when does Amy do any leading in this movie? Uh, she is mostly doped up on these Percocet bananas. Uh, I think she leads when when there was like the the fork in the road and her th- in in uh, Karen Ross's thing stops working, and then she's that was the that's their one moment where she's like follow the gorilla, you know, like because I'm all out of ideas kind of thing. Yeah. Not enough for me. It's not enough. No. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, you got, I mean, again, this movie was an advocate for hippos are the real villains, you know? I mean, oh, so then it goes, so, so then it goes, um, capitalism, uh, killer apes, uh, I would say hippos and then Joe Don Baker. True. I think the hippos are much more memorable. And I mean, I don't know another time I've seen a hippo in a movie besides Fantasia. And that's a very different kind of representation. Yeah. So we're all about spectrum. equal representation yeah. of hippos. Hippos can both be villains as well as ballerinas. I think so. That's what I want people to take away from this. Oh yeah. Um, shall we watch the final scene? Yes. Let's watch Laura Linney blow up some apes. Cause that's why we're here. I have thoughts. Have you seen Amy? She's gone. No. She's joined the club. We've got two porters missing and Omoko's run off too. I'm gonna find her. People come first, then gorillas. Do you agree? Yes. Good. We'll retrieve our comrades, then we'll retrieve your missing gorilla. And then we'll get the hell out of here. Uh, and this is... Chaos is, is happening, and everyone's leaving, but they need to go back to the city of Zinj. And Karen Ross gives Peter a gun, and that's very weird, but kind of hot. Um, and so basically, they learn the story of Zinge, which is that they domesticated these gorillas in the sense they taught them to be this way. They bred them to violence. They looked for the trait, and then they encouraged it. Guard dogs. And then they turned on their masters. And what's that smell? They're the bones gorillas. No, these are normal gorillas. This one was skull, skull was crushed. And uh, yeah, shit sucks. And... Things are falling apart and there's earthquakes because the volcano is becoming active and, you know, everything. There's sulfur fumes and everything like that. 
And then, you know, they're looking at the hieroglyphics and it says, we are watching you. And it's the trainers talking. The teachers are watching you. Dead teachers. And this is when they come upon this, this like empty spot and there's a river running through it. And then there's these little glittering things in the ground. And uh, Herkomolka is back because he was stumbling around the mine and it was very Scooby-Doo-like. But they see these glittering things in the ground. And he's like, yes, yes, I knew it was true. The city of Zinj, the diamonds, every word of it, absolutely true. And Peter Elliot's like, I leave those alone. And there's no way out. And basically, uh, Homoka's like trying to get out and shit's not going well. And the gray gorillas, they, you know, kill a bunch of people, including Herka Homoka. So they run off into the back and then Kyoga gets killed, which is really sad. Um, and then they uh, basically all that's left is Monroe and Ross and Elliot, you got your dream team right here. You got Karen Ross, you got Monroe Kelly, and I guess you got Peter Elliot. Um, and they run to the back of the cave and they realize that it's a giant geode, a giant diamond. And they find the corpses of Jeffrey and Charlie, you know, Charlie, her, her ex-fiance. But she's like, eh, um, she's more, you know, she's like, I got to get this diamond and, and there's no way out of there. So, but, 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 but Karen Ross gets an idea and she's like, buy me two minutes. Um, but of course the gorillas attack and they grab Peter and that's when Amy shows up and she's like, ugly gorillas, ugly, go away, Amy, mother, you know, Peter hug Amy. And it's all that it's really cute. And I guess the gorillas are like, what is happening? Um, and, uh, you know, Monroe's like, maternal instinct, long may she reign. And then um, finally Karen Ross comes back and, and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> this is the best line in the entire movie. Uh, Monroe's like, what are you doing? And she's like, what am I doing? I'll tell you, we're getting out. And he's like, what about them? And she's like, put, I'm going to put them on the endangered species list. And it's awesome. Uh, and she just fucking lasers them. It's insane. Wait, what did you say? This is a movie about people running away. Most of the movie is people fleeing the scene. What if the end of the movie and they just said like Nike or something? Just like what? Or no, it would probably be like Reebok or something. Puma, maybe? I I don't know any slogans that I can make fun of. I, I just... I, well, a I don't Reebok even, slogan. I was like, I don't know anything about shoes, so I feel just like... Just Zinge it. Zinge it? <laughs> I mean, Zinge would be a pretty cool brand for like a shoe. <laughs> yeah. Um... The thing that really stuck out to me watching this scene again and even watching it in isolation is that imagine if at the end of Jurassic Park, everyone gets a gun and just like smokes all the dinosaurs. Like it's this movie again to sort of, as we've mentioned earlier, is sort of kind of it sort of is like basks in the warm glow of Jurassic Park. And then at the same time has this tone deaf thing where everyone just gets like 
you know, the whole point of that movie is like, are these animals, are these monsters? And it's this thing of like, well, even if they are eating us, like they're animals, this is just like, nope, you know, just like a mows them all down. Like even Dylan, even Peter, like even Peter is like, it just looks so awkward to him have a gun. Well, to add insult to injury after they've been like mowed down by like lasers and gunshots, then they are also killed by lava. Like it's just, it is so overkill. Well, also if the whole point was that, the ancient people who trained these sort of watchdog, and I think it, they go into it way more in the book of like these like watchdog style apes that they essentially bred to be killer apes. Then the idea that like, and eh, they just, well, fuck them, you know, like is very sort of antithesis to everything else that the movie's been saying, if it's saying anything, but well also strange because these killer apes are both, killed by modern technology, but then also ancient uh, occurrence, just like natural disaster. It's yeah. like, well, they would have died either way then if like they're going to get killed by lava. Well, I mean, that's always the, it's always the issue in movies when natural disasters happen because it's always going to be kind of random yeah, in a sense, you know? So it's, I mean, I guess earlier in the movie, this is another reason that for them to be in a hurry is because the whole region's gonna just uh, blow, I guess, or whatever. Oh, region's gonna blow, or whatever. Like, I guess every time I hear that, I always think they mean politically. Oh, is that not the case? I feel like they mentioned something about it being unstable or something. I mean, this was this was only going to be called Zaire for two more years. Yeah, Zaire ended in 1997. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so funny. That's so interesting to see it in that historical perspective. Yeah. Um, but this is something that we skipped over, but getting to the the killer apes, which are what the movie, besides teasing the reason that Tim Curry is there, it is also teasing these killer apes, which are, it's their T-Rex, essentially. Yeah, they're, they're hanging their hat on the fact of like, oh my gosh, these apes, they're going to be scary. And up to this point, the few apes attacks that there are, they're done with this slow-mo. Yeah, this very 90s. Speaking of Chunking Express, very like, they use that effect a lot. In okay, movie. it's slow-mo blurry look and it's to hide how they look or either they knew that they weren't going to look good and they're like, we don't know what else to do besides do this this confusing motion with the camera that maybe you you think it's intentional suspense or maybe it was intentional suspense and just bad directing on Marshall's part, which I hate to say to you since I know you love Marshall and Kennedy. <laughs> I mean, I'm more of a Kennedy person, but I also recognize her problems now too. But, but um, you know. So I like that at least in the end for this final set piece, they show the apes with yeah. no additional camera work. It's literally just straight on shots of these people in ape suits with mechanical faces, which I'm I'm so torn on whether or not I respect it or not because I respect the craft of of handmade aesthetics like this, like, you know, practical effects. I like that it's not CGI. It is really there. Well, I mean, they thought about doing the ape CGI because they're like, look what happened on Jurassic Park. But they were like, fur is too difficult at this point. I mean, fur is still a problem, even in 2018. But uh, yeah, they decided to go with. So I appreciate that they did that. But at the same point, like, 
we all know that's not scary or intimidating as much as seeing probably an ape in the wild attacking you is quite shocking in a movie. It's not threatening. It just looks silly. Yeah. So that's why this movie falls apart all the way to the end where it's like, this is the thing that we're supposed to be so invested in. Like all the marketing we watched was like, they're going into the jungle and these apes we've never seen before. And we look at them and we're like, yeah, there's a reason we've never seen them before because we don't care. Yeah. We don't want this. Well, and it's again, like you're saying, it's such a, it's a crazy problem where, and because by necessity of them guarding the city of Zinge, we can't see them any earlier. And so they kind of wrote themselves in this weird thing where it's like, well, they can't show up until the end. But I think if you were doing it differently, they would have been along the whole way or something. But this whole movie is them getting to Zinge. Again, that's why it's like it's I think in a in a different way of putting this movie together, you would have gotten there by minute 45 and then you would have found ways to explore this narrative when you're there. Exactly. There's no reason for them not to be able to like have their plane crash land really close. Yes, you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> and be like, oh my gosh, we accidentally landed in the lost city of Zinge. I mean, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of why it's been so difficult for Tim Curry to get to this place. Yeah. But really there is so many ways you can cut out the extra steps they have yeah. to get to this location. Well, I think, I mean, I think we've just seen is that the movie is all about hinting at these things, but when it actually gets there, there's not, there's nothing there. Well, if you've noticed most of the scenes we watched are people loading in and off a plane or (laughs) loading onto a boat or off a boat. Like it's all this kind of like, Oh, we have this downtime between walking to the next location that we can do something. Okay. We're at the next location. What's the next thing we get on? Okay. Now we're on a boat. Yeah. Now we're off a boat. I think that's just where, the this the spirit of the movie like in these kind of moments to me actually you know is interesting and then it's cheesy as hell but i just think again this movie kind of comes to life when laura linney can just go full arnold schwarzenegger and just be like put him on the endangered species list it's just so insane and i'm just like i want to cheer because it's again it's so tone deaf to the rest of the movie but in a way that i'm like you know what Let's do this. I like Laura Linney, the action hero. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think that is awesome. I'd love for her to have her own Rambo series. And But it does make me curious that... Because I'd say a lot of people are selling this movie pretty hard. Like, I, there's a lot of sincerity in all the performances. And it makes me wonder about those movies of, like, when you're on set, do you know you're in a bad movie? Like, do you think they knew that this was not going to be good? Or do you think they're like, man, Frank Marshall sure knows what he's doing. Like, if he made Jurassic Park. Well, I don't think Frank Marshall ever directed again. I don't think he directed another movie. <laughs> I guess just, but, but like, the clout that he yeah, had yeah, yeah, as yeah. a producer. And- For sure. Well, I mean, he's obviously gone on to continue doing all the Universal movies, but... um I mean, I think people were just like, this is almost like a victory lap because this movie didn't flop. It did well. It did well enough. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't become a phenomenon, but it, I don't think it was like a flop by any means. I was, a, I started getting lost in phenomenon, a criterion, uh, a Crichton yeah. novel or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A Crichton novel. Oh, phenomenon. That yes. movie with, um, with John Travolta. No, that, no, not a Crichton novel. Is okay. that a Stephen King novel? 
It might be. It sounds like it would be yeah. <laughs> quite novel. It would be, yeah. But uh Andromeda Strain colon phenomenon. Yeah. Congo 2 phenomenon. <laughs> Amy develops psychic powers. Not a bad idea. Yeah. If raptors can talk to each other, that ape can Alan. <laughs> Alan. Can have Amy. Some... <gasps> what if? What the crossover like they put the rap they give raptors that like little speech thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, in one world I could you could imagine some of these characters coexisting in Jurassic Park. Like they're kind of cut from the same cloth. That's it, but it comes down to like as I said, like this movie is working on two blueprints where it's the blueprint of like this is Jurassic Park, this is what works, but then also that it's also a book already. And so it's putting those two schematics on top of each other and saying make this movie that's these two different things and i think that's how it gets so muddled yeah well and i think if you look at the other animal adventure movies to come out in the wake of jurassic park things like anaconda lake placid deep blue sea um well deep blue sea has deep blue sea was the meeting of the minds of Jurassic Park and men in black. Like that's where that movie kind of came in the middle because it's an animal movie, but then you also have the like fun vibe of like men in black where you have, um, uh, L cool J doing deepest bluest. My head is like a shark's fin and they have the whole dance and everything. Like, have you seen? Oh yeah. I've definitely yeah, yeah, seen yeah. deep blue. Wait, I, feel like, I feel like we were texting about this once. Yes. But, um, I guess like men in black is a weird choice to pull. Like I'm trying to think of a, well, that was 98. Um, I just feel like 90s movies that were like fun action romps, you know? Yeah. But that's more on the spectrum of like action comedy, whereas like Jurassic Park is action adventure. And I think some of these animal, other animal movies kind of like were, and I think the ones that were most successful, I think, I think Congo is unsuccessful because it was trying to take too much of the heart from Jurassic Park, as we've said, and it didn't really quite earn it. Whereas I think, Anaconda was a little bit smarter and I think is actually kind of a more rewatchable movie, at least in the last couple of times I've watched it because it, it kind of doesn't try and replicate what like it doesn't. It's like this is a giant snake in the jungle. Like there's not going to be there's no there's no heart to be found here. Well, here's the thing. It's like all those movies you just listed are movies I really like and more than Congo. And the only difference is because I think giant reptiles are fascinating and scary mm. and apes are not. Yeah. I'm not a King Kong person. I'm not a person that ever finds a giant gorilla enticing to watch. Like anytime I've watched a movie with King Kong, it's because I want to see the dinosaurs. I want to see the giant spiders or whatever is roaming <laughs> that Island skull crushers. Whatever yeah. In the, I, in the new one. That's, that's what I want to see. I could give two shits about King Kong. Yeah. And so I wish maybe Congo had more of that. At least it has hippos, but <laughs> I mean, you need a giant crocodile. You need a giant anaconda to sell a movie to me more than a monkey. At the end of the day, not much is important about this movie. No. I'd say, well, watching it in a 2018 uh, state of mind, this movie's an hour 40. We do not have blockbusters that are under two hours anymore. Like, oh, no, yeah. So the fact that this movie's so short, I think it goes by in a flash and you're like, oh, I'm just not, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to an action movie 
wrapping itself up by, you know, 140. Yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, I mean, because all the Marvel movies and all that stuff, even, I mean, even the latest Star Wars movie was like two and a half hours. You We're know? just used to that now. Yeah. Because I think people want more world building. They want more, they just want more stuff you know behind the story they want to like get invested you know if this were made in 2018 you get set up to sequels and and oh interconnected universe stuff and again you would see like on the telecommunications thing there'd be like a thing that says like ingen or something and you're just like whoa you know like yeah i would there would be an opening sequence that said jp universe yeah jp universe oh man we can dream um do you think they'll remake this? Well, yeah. I mean, I just mentioned that Crichton's son, I mentioned on a mini-sode recently where they did get the rights to, or like they're going to try and, I mean, it doesn't mean anything is literally going to happen, but I think the success of the, you know, the new phase of Jurassic Park franchise and Westworld um, means that I think they're going to start looking at other Crichton properties about adapting them for the first time, like one of my favorite Michael Crichton books is Airframe, which has never been adapted. Prey has never been adapted. Although, what was that? Um, there was the movie that was directed by the cinematographer that Christopher Nolan uses, Wally Pistifer. It's the movie with Johnny Depp and it's like the computers and like... Transcendence. Paul- Transcendence. That movie re- looked like it was Prey because it's based off a similar idea of the nanobots and stuff taking over and... Um, so I, when I first saw the trailers for that, I was like, are they adapting prey? Um, but I mean, would you want to see Congo as a, as another movie again, or would you want to see it as like a TV show where they like, where this kind of montage kind of like new, like each episode would be like these different locations and then you could create, you know what I mean? It's like, it would make sense that it's episodic because this movie is very episodic. I think you could do a mini series out of it. I would be very curious because we Stan Winston can't do what he does anymore. Like that doesn't exist. Like no one would put money into making animatronics and suits. So it means it would either be CGI or real apes maybe (laughs) with some CGI enhancement. Yeah. Like they would, I don't know if they would do that, but I'd be curious, as I said, like I want more Africa representation in media. So I would like to see it in a 2018 perspective and what they do with that. Um, I think you can update it. You know, I'm open. I'm open to the world building. As I said, like we loved the scene with like the hippo attack. Like you can do more stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, maybe Westworld's, you know, given us a lot of opportunities for stuff like that. I was going to ask, because, yeah, you do have, like, a... you. I, I feel like that was one of the first things I learned about you, that is you have, like, a, a really, like, adoration to, like, learn about, you know, the continent of Africa. I don't know. Where did that come from? <laughs> Through music, actually. Really? Which is interesting. I didn't even piece that together while watching it. Uh, but it's weird to say that my entire interest in the continent of Africa was because when I was 13, I was out of Borders, and you know when you could like pick a CD to listen to? I thought I had picked the Lion King Broadway soundtrack, but instead I 
picked the soundtrack to Tsotsi, which was the 2004 South African film that won Best Foreign Film that year. Uh, and I had never heard anything like that before in my life. And it's all like Zulu house music uh, and like kind of like hip hop, like South African hip hop Zola's like did the soundtrack for it. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I need to know more about everything that's happening here. And so like that just got me into, I just spent more time like reading about different parts of the continent. I can end up being more interested in West Africa than Southern Africa. But I just, I, I listen to BBC Africa every morning. Like that's how I just like start my day. So I realize I know more about what goes on in different countries in a place I don't live than yeah, <laughs> than what goes on in America most of the time. Didn't you listen to a podcast too? I thought I saw you. I listened to a couple. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, 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 there's an other, there's a podcast called like otherwise, which is all about Kenyan politics. Um, I just started listening more to Arafi because I'm trying to learn French. And so I listen to French politics in Africa as well. Oh, cool. So it's just one of those things of like, I feel really weird because I'm a white Afrophile, but there's just something I think so rich about this continent that at least as Americans, we have very little ties to in the way that Europe does because of all the colonization. Like you, England and France and Portugal and all these places have a lot more cultural ties to Africa, though it's through terrible means. Yeah. <laughs> then we have pretty much no ties at all, even though there, we do have, there are a lot of African relationships. It's, there's no history there. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's just something that like I didn't see a lot of and then was exposed to and I just have never stopped really being interested in it. That's cool. I mean, I think we I think we did it. We covered it. Look, we're gonna remake Congo. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be episodic. It's gonna be on HBO. Eh, showtime, probably. Um you know. Cinemax if we're lucky. Oh. Um and yeah, I think I wanna go learn how to I want to wear that. They should have, you know, they should have done. They should have just, I can imagine if they did an SNL skit about this movie when it came out, they were probably wearing the power glove. It was just like, it was just like, um, who would have been Molly Mo- Shannon. Shannon? That's <laughs> yeah. It would have been Molly Shannon and like Tim Meadows. And there would have been like this hilarious scene of like them of like whoever would, or like Adam Sandler and like Molly Shannon, like and like he would play the the Dylan the the Peter Elliot character, you know. So you know. We That's can... what I'm saying. You got you got Adam Sandler, Molly Shannon, Tim Meadows. There's your three right there. Yeah. Um, well, I like this this universe that we live in. So someone go find that SNL sketch as it exists. Oh wait, that's... June 1995. <laughs> Wait, that's like the we were saying the like Bernstein gorilla effect of this whole laser thing. I guess yeah, like I don't remember that. Well, it was they were saying that in the movie, uh, people online are saying that the that they held. Uh, it's saying that in a trailer, there's an image of a gorilla holding the laser. Hmm. We have not seen any proof of this, but another podcast did. Um. Hmm. All right. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna go find that podcast. Yeah. And track it down. Um, podcast within a podcast. Yeah, but I just like the idea that it's like, your like our imagination is like, or what if what if that there was a scene and they're like that's a little too that's too much of a stretch. 
we're not going to have uh, our gorillas holding guns because that Go would be all crazy. Out. Yeah. You're already there. Yeah. What's towing over the line a little bit more? Congo 2, Assassin's Ball. Thanks, Megan. <laughs> This has been episode Z of C Jurassic, I mean, C Congo Right. Past guests on this week's episode and future episodes were Megan Baker. You can follow her on Twitter at Comedy Hipster and Dak Schaefer. You can follow him on Twitter at Dak Schaefer. Special thanks to Jody Duncan and Janine Poiré's book, The Making of Congo, for a lot of insight and new information I hadn't heard before about the making of the film. Well, our regular episodes resume with episode 12 of C Jurassic Right, dropping April 24th, probably. Be on the lookout for mini-sodes, obviously. I'll be playing voicemails and reading emails sent in from listeners like you. I'll also be on the lookout for future mini-sodes and special segments as well. And now you can support C Jurassic Right on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash and check out the C Jurassic Right Facebook group by searching C Jurassic Right Podcast on Facebook. Now, I have two questions for you. If you want to tweet at me, call in, or leave a voicemail before next month's show, these questions are, would you ever want an actual Crichton Cinematic Universe? And... Is Amy truly a good gorilla? 65 million years of waiting Well, oh yeah Well, all right Well, oh yeah Now you can also interact with me and the show by following me on Twitter at Stephen Ray Morris and following SJRPod on Twitter, C Jurassic Ride on Instagram, C Jurassic Ride on Facebook, or you can send me an email at cjurassicride at gmail.com. Not only am I looking forward to talking to people about their Jurassic Park experiences and hearing yours, but I also am going to be sharing ephemera from my childhood and, oh God, I'm going to share the fan fiction uh, on there as well and pictures and toys and everything. It's going to be great. And I wanted to thank Caitlin Thompson and Tim Ruggery at ACAST, Molly McAleer, Heather Mason, Stephanie Cook, Sarah Iyer, and you. See Jurassic Ride is an ACAST podcast. Check out the show on their mobile app. And thank you for listening. Until next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.